Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to another edition of Solutions Watch. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you in July of 2022 on a topic that is near and dear to my heart, the topic of autodidacticism or self-learning or whatever you want to call it. Uh, the, the idea behind it is both remarkably simple but remarkably powerful, and that is that the best I'm not sure necessarily the best in all situations, but a good way to learn things is to do them and try them and to teach yourself through the process of trial and error and experience and also study uh, how to do various things. And this is something that uh, resonates with myself very strongly because this is essentially how the Corbett Report came to be. Uh, I, as I've said many, many times, I never in a million years thought I was going to be involved in media production of any kind, and yet here I am at the pinnacle of media production. <laughs> How did I end up here? It wasn't by going to college for four years and learn, taking a media degree or anything of that sort. It was essentially trial and error and teaching myself and learning through experience, learning through looking things up. Um, there's a lot of different aspects of this this process by which we can improve ourselves and move forward into the future, learning new skills, picking new things up, not by turning to the education system, but by through self-learning. And I could think of no better guest to have on to talk about this topic than old friend of the Corbett Report, Richard Grove, who has, of course, been involved in many podcasts and media productions, documentaries, projects over the years, and like myself, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Richard, but uh, like myself, someone who has not was not trained in this, was, was not uh, someone who went into this as a media person, but has obviously taught himself the tricks of the trade when it comes to media production and many other things besides, and that is the topic of today's Solutions Watch. So, Richard Grove, thank you very much for coming on. Howdy, James. Thank you for the invite. And yeah, I never intended to be in front. Of, I don't, I'm an introvert. I don't like to be in front of cameras or lights or microphones or audiences or any of that stuff. I've learned everything out of necessity in this space for the past 16 years or so. After I was done internalizing through reading, I was like, I got a, I got a, something to say and there's something to share. And uh, I learned along the way. I learned uh, first audio editing and then video editing and then videography and then cinematography Right. Cinematography involves more motion of the camera instead of just tripods and uh, how to do interviews, of course, over the years and a number of other things. Just uh, it was obstacles in a way of where I wanted to go. And I will learn step by step, just like you do. Absolutely. And I think the results of that are self-evident to anyone who has seen any of your media productions, certainly in the past decade or in the past several years. Uh, they have consistently stepped up, ramped up in quality. Um, but as I say, it's not simply audio or video production in which you have uh, practiced autodidacticism. Uh, you have taught yourself many things, I believe, over the years, and you have shared some of them with your audience. One thing that I would like to draw my audience's attention to in particular, because I enjoy it so much, is the Slow Your Scroll series of videos that uh, I will link up in the show notes for today's Solutions Watch so people can go and watch them the, themselves. I don't know what it is about that, 
particular production, but I really enjoy watching you and often with your son out there in the woods going out to, oh, here, we're going to use, we're going to make our own fire or or something along those lines. And just watching someone do that as they introduce clips, there's something about that that's calming, but also inspiring in a way. Because again, survival tips, basic things about how to do things outdoors. Again, I, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is a process, something that you've taught yourself about over the last several years, and you were teaching the audience simply by showing it, by doing it, and inspiring others to get out there and start doing it themselves. Tell us a little bit about the Slow Your Scroll idea. Well, I have uh, a lot of my productions are, are for clients and students during the week and I wasn't getting a lot of clips out to my YouTube page and I said can somebody take samples of those productions and I'll do like a a vlog you know once a week type thing and then I the mix of that was uh, my son was like four or five when we started that and we'd go out in the woods and I wanted to show him stuff because you need to know how to survive in nature and I grew up in the woods of Western Pennsylvania and uh, so I I found that there's a whole YouTube audience that's interested in how to tie knots and how to pitch a tarp and how to stay dry, how, you know, all these things that I kind of grew up knowing. And then um, the practicality of once a week, it's good for me and him to get out on a hike and let's do some things. And he knows now like what the format is, like we need an intro, a middle and an end. And uh, so he's learning production on the fly. And um, my autodidacticism started before schooling even started. Like I was around a lot of adults, a lot of older adults, like uh, my grandfather on my dad's side had a bunch of kids in his family. And there's a, you know, uh, a work ethic. You see people farming, you see people getting their food or repairing their house or doing whatever, practical things. They weren't like potato, uh, couch potato type people. So I had learned to read before I went to kindergarten. I was an advanced learner and I got bored with the curriculum like in early elementary school. So I read more advanced content, right? Um, and then I lost my way during schooling because I started just following what they were laying down. Like, oh, I go through this process, I graduate, then I get in this place, then I get a piece of paper, I go get a good job. And somewhere along the college route, I started not taking it so seriously and being more social, hanging out with friends, not going to class, right? Because college was not challenging. It wasn't giving me what I thought I needed for the future. And um, it was like, you know, I, I moved away from home when I was 18. So it was it was very liberating. So at one point during college, I was reading a newspaper, the school newspaper, because I was looking for bar specials. I was not the person to read the paper every day, but I was looking for a bar special. And in there, James, I saw an ad that said, make $10,000 this summer. And I thought to myself, wow, I only make $3,000 a summer working as a fry cook. You know, what do I have to do to $10,000? What's that all about? So I went through a series of interviews and what it was, was a franchise. And so my sophomore year of college, I invested $5,000 into myself to buy that franchise, to learn entrepreneurism, to learn hiring, firing, sales, marketing, all the things you need to do to, to have your own business. And then that was a lot of fun. I employed a, a ton of friends of mine and people we met. Like we worked together over summer. It was a good time. It, like good college summer job, right? Very uh, lucrative. Um, and then at the end of college, I didn't want to run that company. I wanted like a, a real job that paid a lot of money, not just, you know, 60 grand or something during the summer. I wanted six figures. I wanted to earn a million dollars. I had ideas in my head that were probably from watching movies and television that I should go off to New York City and make my fortune at some point. Right. So with that in mind, I graduated college and I didn't ever have to use my degree to get a job. 
So the jobs I got, the, the jobs where I built my success had nothing to do with my college education, had everything to do with the entrepreneur skills that no one else I worked with seemed to have. So it was a very rare skill set. It's very lucrative and like high valued skill set. And then it was that level of success. I was at a good cruising altitude in corporate world when I then became a whistleblower. And I didn't really, I mean, I would have still done the same thing. But if you would have said, Rich, you're going to scuttle your multi-million dollar career forever. You're not, you don't, you know, what are you going to do the rest of your life? I really thought since I had the evidence and learned how to represent myself in court and taught myself the rules of the court and all those things I had to do that I was probably going to be successful in that endeavor. Well, I miscalculated. I didn't know how the world worked. I had a lot of blind spots on my map. I hadn't yet internalized the messages of John Taylor Gatto or Charlotte Iserby to find my blind spots, right? I thought I knew. And because I was, because my sense of knowledge was being validated by the paycheck and the commission checks, especially, I didn't feel the need to continue learning. So the, at my turning point in a career where I go into research and media production from being a corporate sales executive, um, I didn't have a bookshelf that had books I read recently. I had, you know, they're random books, man. If I went to the bookstore, I bought like Theodore Rex about Ted, Teddy Roosevelt, a BS history book, right? I had no thirst for knowledge because I thought, I assumed I knew how things worked. And then slowly as that naivete got pulled back off me, I was like, I need to start finding what is the actual and factual? What are the books that help to map out what's going on economically, politically, sociologically, education-wise, these sort of things, and start reading them. And then all that kind of autodidacticism uh, led into outputs. So there was an input processing and output stage to the, to the whole thing. And then, uh, you know, right around the same time you started, I started uh, putting out the podcast. You know, what you say resonates so strongly with me and my experience and all of the things that I've learned along the way, including things that I've learned from yourself. You, of course, raised the specter of John Taylor Gatto, and so we've got to point to the ultimate history lesson, which if people haven't seen that yet, why not? It's as relevant today as the time it was recorded, if not more so, and I think hits on a lot of those points, the difference between education and schooling, and it's unfortunate that we tend to think of schooling as learning, uh, when, in fact, as you say, it often inculcates the exact opposite tendency. We, we start to train for the test and we start to think in those terms instead of actually learning how to do things and how they apply to our real experience. And that is to our detriment because history and learning and knowledge is empowering, thrilling, fascinating, interesting, uh, all of the things that schooling is not. And uh, I will just parenthetically note, not as a way of blowing my own horn, but of demonstrating the point. Um, one of the recent comments on my Gutenberg conspiracy that I just released, fascinating, simply fascinating. I do not remember anything like this being taught in the schools I went to growing up. LOL, don't say it, James. Uh, this is something we seriously take for granted every time we open our mouths to spit out a word. Um, that, that, that type of feedback I am often I often receive is that wow you know I never knew this existed this is fascinating this is interesting they never taught this in schools yes that's the point when you really start learning genuinely learning it is a thrilling and and motivational thing in and of itself so once people have experienced that broken through that conditioning that schooling is learning and it's boring and who cares and you know just just go along date along once people have that thirst that knowledge for uh, that passion for knowledge where do they start let's say there's somebody out there in the audience today 
that wants to start teaching themselves how to fill in the blank, whatever that thing is, what are some general ideas, steps, or principles that we could um, uh, offer to these people to get them started along that path that we can talk about from our own experience? Yeah, so if you've discerned the difference between the indoctrination for 15,000 hours for other people's agendas versus you learning how to reach goals and accomplish things that you want in your life and making your dreams into reality, you notice there's a difference, right? One is declarative sentences and they're told to you and you're tested. And the other one is you ask questions and you go out into the world and you find answers. You might interview people. You might look up stuff in encyclopedia. You might do search engine. You might ask a, a relative, all these sorts of things you might do to become educated, to become skilled. I might look over someone's shoulder. I might say, show me how to do it. Watch me do it. These sort of things, get some practice and repetitions in. So there's general things we need to be able to do for ourselves to learn anything. And then you can just figure out what your goals are, what actions you need to take, and then the learning takes place along those those routes. So it's really something we could have learned, should have learned, at a very young age, and we'd all have a lot more autonomous direction in the world. But instead, they want us not knowing that we're lost until we're 30 or 40. And they're like, wait a minute, there's not the options they told us we're going to be at the end of this hallway. And then people find themselves in, in divorce or losing their job or all these other things, and it creates great turmoil. And I think that's all avoidable with seeing the situation for what it is and saying, there's some things I need to do. I need to be able to learn things for myself. Yes. I need to be able to get things done. So I should have a method for that. I need to be accountable to other people and to myself. Right. And I need to conduct myself with a culture of excellence so that I work and play nicely with others and people want to give me business and they want to take the business that I'm offering. So there's like this uh, set of ingredients for the recipe, none of which that are provided in schooling. So... To start, I would say you want to make a commitment to yourself that you can be better than you are today. And that's just an easy thing. We all learn. I keep myself humble because I know, like, I think of what I learned today. And then I think, well, I couldn't have been that smart yesterday then, right? <laughs> and I just keep it real like that. So you're going to be doing a lot of learning and it's going to go on for the rest of your life. Or you can do a lot of assuming and snickering and like, haha, make fun of stuff, make fun of people who are improving themselves and like stay in a static position, right? In this environment, there's a lot of other pressures coming in with uh, fertilizer and food prices and gas prices, right? Well, savings not going to get you ahead. You have to increase your intellectual buoyancy, in increase your valuable service offered to the world to be able to help others because that's how you circulate in the economy and, and trade and barter and these sort of things, right? So these critical elements of survival they're denied to us. And if, it, if they trickle down, it's because of who we hung out with in our family, friends, things like that, right? It's not coming through the institutions that produce kind of broken-ism, if you will. So to start on the autodidactic journey, you need to know, uh, we'll talk about getting things done in a second, but you just need to know this. You're going to fall down. You're going to fail. You're going to feel awkward. You're going to feel fear. You're going to feel confusion. You're going to feel embarrassment. And so what? good. All the things you want are on the other side of those things. And if you let those things keep you static and making fun of people making progress, it's not going to help. So once you get through that, oh, if I learn to ride a bike, it's going to be awkward. There's some fear. I might fall down and skin my knee. But ultimately, I get to direct myself autonomously with that device faster than I could ever walk. So there's an upside to it, right? And so once people think of that, they're like, oh, what's on the other side of all this learning? What can I do? What problems can I solve? What problems can I avoid? What other pitfalls can I foresee by having a good, strong network of people who have been there and done that, right? So 
once you get past like the intellectual or psychological part of I'm going to make a commitment not to quit on myself. And as a coach or a teacher, I know you'll be successful when you won't quit on yourself. So that's the simple metric. Have we gotten there yet? Or do you still come back and offer excuses to your accounting coach or what have you, right? So everyone's got work to do. We're all in different phases. And then I take students uh, um, uh, through the unindoctrination phase where they kind of unlearn ideas and beliefs that they have that are not useful to their endeavors. So learned helplessness, the belief that they can't learn new things, not useful. Let's get rid of that. Scarcity mindset, that you don't have up here what you need to survive and thrive. Because reality does have real scarcity, which is why we don't need scarcity in our brains. We need the the infinite thinking to be able to cognize and invent and be ingenuitive to solve problems, right? This is a, a element of human experience that is denied by the school system, but we very much need it, right? So we replace that part. And then um, learning from there, you're easy to work with. You can show up on time. You're not making excuses. You get things done. You're accountable. You have integrity, which is simply doing what you said you'd do when you said you'd do it. And trust is created with the people you work with because it's integrity demonstrated over time that develops that trust. Now we just slap some high value skills on there. So if you want to be an executive salesperson, because that's where the money's at, there's no degree necessary, there's jobs all over the place. It's how everyone else in every company gets paid. Salespeople, there's no universities training people how to do this, especially the right way, which is service-based. You're solving problems, you're not doing things to people, you're doing things for people. It's not about pushing, persuading, convincing, conniving. It's more about asking questions, listening, finding the common needs, making a better plan, and agreeing to do something about it. Something we do in our, in our households, it's something we do with our friends, and it's something that we learn to do in business. But most employees don't know how to interview or get a job or negotiate or be upwardly mobile and get a promotion or go make an opportunity for another company that's not hiring, and they'll hire you and give you 10% of the $2 million you're bringing in for them with that business idea. So there's all these paths to be mobile in our society, but they're like, they're behind these doors and they're locked. So I try to offer people a, a skeleton key for that success and the Swiss army knife for life. So you have the skills and you have the connectivity, the skeleton keys like the connectivity and the Swiss army knives like the skills. You don't need the best of all these skills. You don't need to be the best salesperson. You need to be the least cringeworthy salesperson they've encountered, right? You need to be genuinely curious. Otherwise, you can't ask a question and actually listen to people. That's another skill we help uh, students develop very quickly in the first couple of weeks. Get over introversion, be on camera, ask questions, be heard, but also listen. Also cognize what other people are trying to do so you can help them find solutions because that's valuable currency between people. So, yeah, there's a lot to get started, but all you really need to do is to make a commitment to yourself that you want some result that you have uh, that you don't want but you have right because at the end of the day let me take a sip at the end of the day people transact for two reasons they transact to get results they want and don't have and they transact to get rid of problems they have and don't want so they could also teach us that by like sixth grade right you, no one's going to want you to mow the grass if the grass is short, but if it's a foot high, you can make them a deal. Why isn't it cut? Is the lawnmower broken? Is someone out of the house? What's going on? There's a problem to be solved. Entrepreneurs figure out how to solve that problem. Entrepreneurs are people who take educated, calculated risks for substantial benefit. And more of us, uh, and that, the, that's only possible because of freedom. So there's a convection current between freedom and entrepreneurism, and it 
it's a two-sided coin. You can't have one without the other. You put a lot on the table there, and so much of it resonates with my own personal experience, especially the part about the trial and error, and you will make mistakes, and you will be, you will fail, it will be awkward, uh, but it is part of the growing and learning process. To this day, I cannot go back and listen to basically the first hundred episodes of the Corbett Report podcast. I just cringe. It sounds terrible. I sound terrible. Why am I speaking like that? Like, do I not know how to speak like a regular human being? But those are just things you have to learn. And I learned it the hard way in front of everybody. And now they're there for everyone to hear for all time. Oh, well, <laughs> at least I can present the, uh, the, well, this is what it looks like as you start to improve and as you uh, start to take your failures and make them into success. And that's the only way to really do this. And the, you know, the overnight successes that get presented to people are almost invariably people who have spent a long time doing things behind the scenes, and then they get noticed. So, uh, unfortunately, there aren't a lot... That's one of the things uh, that the sort of the media culture that we're steeped in does, is kind of obscure the hard work that goes in to things like this and the development. And I think it is important to actually show people that process to show them that, yes, if you care, if you are diligent, if you put yourself to it, you can develop whatever skill you want. It will take time, there will be failures, but you can do it with persistence, which is an important thing, I think, to model to others. So <laughs> that's why I those first hundred episodes or so of the Corbett Report are still up there and always will be, so you can see some of my own uh, failures and shortcomings. Um, not that I'm doing anything perfectly right now. I could improve in so many different ways and hopefully continue to do so all the time. Let's give people a specific example. Uh, audio production or video production or cinematography or uh, survival skills or something specific you've learned. What were some of the th questions you had? How did you go about answering those questions? What setbacks or failures did you have and how did you overcome that? All right, so I'm going to touch also on what you said about the early work because uh, I have one of my I have my first film in 2007. It's it, the anniversary is coming up. It's the 15th anniversary, and uh, <clears throat> someone on the media team cut trailers for it, and they said we're going to live stream this on the 15th anniversary. So I watched the trailers for the first editing I've ever done, video wise, and it's rough, dude. It was hard, and I was like, okay, but we're going to let this fly because people need to see. You know, this is what 15 years of, you know, I don't produce every day, but uh, yeah, it has improved over time for sure. Now, interesting places where I built up my chops of learning hard things, learning things that are difficult, learning things that make you want to quit. Um, I, the, the seed story for this, it's, it's not business. It was, it was social. It was I wanted to play a sport, ice hockey, that I didn't know how to skate. And I was 14. And my younger brother had played hockey his whole life. And it got to the point where the high school team didn't have kids my age on the team, and they offered a, a learn escape program. So they like taught us like on a Tuesday night for two weeks. It wasn't a whole lot. So what I did was at age 14, at this height, at 6'2", 130 pounds back then, spindly, you know, lanky dude on three-inch ice skates out there, trying to pick up girls. No, I'm hugging the wall. I'm praying that I don't fall again. I'm making a fool of myself in front of pe girls I would want to impress, but right now I have to learn this hard skill and I'm sorry it's a public skate and you're trying to enjoy yourself, but I don't know how to skate and I'm learning. So I went through, that was a, a tough learning curve for me. 
the benefit was I did learn to skate. I made the varsity team. We won a state championship. I learned a lot about teamwork and uh, camaraderie and work ethic right during that process. So fast forward 20 years, I'm out of my corporate world environment. The map has been wiped clean. What do you, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I had a deep thirst and interest and curiosity of finding out who knows why the school system's broken. Who knows why no matter what regime is in power in this country, the wars and the foreign policy pretty much stay the same, right? And, uh, you know, it's it seemed like a rigged game. Has anyone checked this out? And sure enough, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other authors have written stories about this over the past 200 years. And I started to encounter some of those stories. So along that way, audio editing, I would say it's something easy. I could teach someone how to do that in a couple hours, right? Here's the, the, the gist of what most producers need. Cut the beginning, cut the end, cut the F word, whatever, you know, bleep some stuff out or video editing. I could teach that in a weekend. Here's what most producers need. And because it's not about making your own film yet, go help some other people be more excellent at what they're doing. And along the way, you're going to meet the people that open those other doors for you. So it's really about learning how to be self-reliant enough that you can take care of yourself and then offer service to others on top of that. Right. So video editing, audio editing, a lot of need, easy skills to pick up cinematography videography well videographer 300 bucks a day cinematographer 800 bucks a day how, how many days you want to work that's a marketing problem right you have a skill set that is you know you can bring in chunks of money or if you create a, a digital asset or a digital product or you have some live offering conferences these sort of things there's all sorts of things that people know about and they go to a permaculture conference to learn from somebody whose passion is bringing food into this world on people's property Right. So there's all these areas <clears throat> that are of interest. And then if you empower yourself with a three step method to learn anything, it gets really crazy because then you get overwhelmed. Oh, I could learn this. I could learn that. I could learn this. But then you have to pull back from that overwhelm. And I teach how to get out of overwhelm because it's a thing. And you just have to cycle back to like, what is the direct goal? And then what stands between me and that goal? And then tune everything else out and just focus on those things to make progress. But you almost have to be diligent, consistent, ruthless about that process. Otherwise, you're going to get distracted by life. You're not going to achieve your goals. And you're always going to think, woe is me. Success isn't for me. But it's really about self-discipline, diligence, work ethic, other things, right? So not everyone has that capacity or, or wants to reach that capacity. So we have to, like, filter out people to see if it's, like, you know, someone with a victim mentality who thinks everything's somebody else's fault. I can't teach you. I don't know what to do with that. But I would also say by giving other people the blame, you take away responsibility from yourself and you deny yourself being able to solve the problem. Because when it's Bill Gates's fault, Bill Gates ain't going to come fix it for you. But when you take responsibility for it, I don't like what he's doing. I'm going to change. I'm going to have a greenhouse. I'm going to have a garden. Then you can do something about it. Then you can take action. Then you feel better. Two things that I would like to touch on on what you said there. One is that you are sending, giving me flashbacks. I've forgotten that this happened, but I, when I was 12 or 13 years old, I read Vladislav Tretiak's autobiography. <laughs> Why not? And I remember, you know, the big idea, the big sort of unifying idea of his book was that life is about falling down and getting up because that was how he learned to skate and that is what life is about and it's a pretty simple point but now i'm realizing you know that point has stuck with me for decades now that's interesting and obviously it's reflected in your thing, experience James. there i know the you're from canada and you guys are all born with skates up there but it's not a normal thing to to put those blades on your foot to go on ice 
and to stop. That was, you know, it was like mentally, like, how's the blade going to turn without flipping me over? <laughs> you know, Rich, my parents are English, so okay. they didn't skate. So they didn't teach us to skate. So I know what it's like to be all wobbly on skates while everyone else is skating, <laughs> skating laps around you. I have had play that each other in hockey for charity sometime. Hmm. So people would pay to see that. <laughs> Oh, that would be awesome. All right. Um, but the other point that you bring up that's important is that this has to come self-learning, truly achieving something through self-learning has to come from self-motivation. If you are not truly motivated and truly desire that end goal of whatever it is without a clear end goal in mind to as the first thing, I think, to reach for, you're not going to achieve anything. Well, you can achieve a, a something, but probably not anything spectacular. And again, that comes, I, I know this to be true. I know that what I have achieved with the Corbett Report and uh, with the, the, the production quality that I can achieve today has come through years and years and years and years of being truly motivated and really sticking with it. And I also know on the flip side of that, uh, I'm, I've been taking guitar lessons for the last few years now with Vinny Caggiano, one of the best guitar teachers in the world. And my very slow progress is reflective of the fact that I don't, I don't practice enough. It's, it's me. It's, it's either I put in the time and effort and energy and I have the passion and it's my goal and I reach for it and I achieve it or, eh, you know, eh, I'll, I'll practice tomorrow and it just doesn't go anywhere. And so that's, I think that's really the dividing line here. Another thought that is coming up in just in the course of this conversation. So it's fresh off of the, uh, off of the grill here. So, but I'd like to get your take on this. It seems to me that one of the key in, uh, uh, things about autodidacticism is that it is mostly, usually, always about how to do something. Not not knowledge in some sort of general, dry, dusty book sense. It's generally about learning a skill, learning how to apply knowledge to the real world. Is, am I off base with that? That's usually the practical application because most of these things, like you need to figure out the goal once, but the actions, there could be 100,000 between you and the goal. So you're going to need those iterations in there. But you also... You would zoom out to what I would say, like in David Allen speak, in the, the language of getting things done, you zoom up to 50,000 feet and you look at the life situations and strategic moves and then your runway daily actions down here, that's where you're also iterating the autodidacticism, but it's also how to meet other people that you need to meet to help solve those problems. So part of it's learning, you know, self-learning, like I need to learn how to change the oil in this truck or something like that. Part of it is learning who's the right person I need to get distribution at every 7-Eleven in the South, right? There's a different type of, but it's the same methodology that you would use in any of these situations. So it's like, it seems complex, but it's simplified, right? The general is easy. The specifics are endless, but it's always, for me, it's the same three-step method, input, processing, and output. What are the individual parts? How do they fit together? How do I remove any contradictions or resolve those? And then how do you use and or troubleshoot the device or the subject matter that you're engaging in, right? You know, you, you hit on another incredibly important point of this is that it's autodidacticism or self-learning, but really it isn't about yourself. It's about yourself being motivated to do something, but then you go out into the world and you ask questions and you find the answers usually from other people who already know how to do this. That's the that's usually the best resource so, to find someone who knows what they're doing here and learn from them, right? But you have to be motivated so I, to go out there and 
and get that information. I think that's an important point of this. And you've alluded to it several times during this conversation. You have students. So I guess the next question is, if people want to achieve this autonomy that comes through autodidacticism, where do they go to learn how to do that? They can find out. So I'll explain what they would find out about. I Twice a year, I do a 12-week training course. It's called Autonomy. It fills in the blanks of what public schooling had to remove from education to make it into indoctrination. It puts back free will. It puts back self-motivation, self-management. puts back how to make friends and influence people, You know, make the connections you need. And it gives you a strong curriculum of um, the unlearning aspect of learned helplessness, scarcity mentality, these sort of things, uh, into the general frameworks of how to be an exemplary, indispensable employee or an executive or an entrepreneur. It's all the same interacting with people skill set and interacting with learning skill set. So to break down the learning, I would break it down to meta-learning and hyper-learning. Meta-learning would be how to learn anything, simple three-step method. Hyper-learning is applying that meta-learning to the internet and your network to find these other answers you need to overcome the next obstacle so you can get to the action that leads to you getting to your goal. Um, so it goes on twice a year. I've been teaching it four years. We've graduated 500 students. It's a small class. I usually keep it between 50 and 100 people each season. Everyone gets to know each other as a classmate. Uh, they bond through the integration exercises where they actually practice these skills and get them under their belts. So they can take them into the real world and transact, whether getting a job, getting a raise, starting a business, growing a family, all these different things. It's the same modalities and the same methods, strategies, principles, and tactics that you need to do it. Um, there's a process to get into it, and it starts at the page called getautonomy.info forward slash ignite. And that's where it's all transparent. There's an obstacle course, and those who can rapidly finish the obstacle course are usually fit for the course, and then they have options. And those who don't make it through the obstacle course, you wouldn't make it through the first week. There's other offerings that we have at our University of Reason that would probably fit you better. And uh, Benny Wills' Parhesia class is a great starter class for people because it just gets you through the introversion and public speaking aspect before we get to the heavier skills. Now, as you say, you've been doing this for several years, and I've talked to some of your students before. Chris McMillan has interviewed me on a number of occasions. So I know I, I've seen the progress uh, that you've made with a lot of these students. But tell us about some of the feedback that you've had about the course. Well, you mentioned Chris. Uh, I, he was a season one graduate, so he's back uh, 2019. You were his first interview, and then soon thereafter, because I taught him how to do interviews. That's week three. Everyone learns that. And he said, I know how to do an interview. I'm going to go interview James Corbett. Right. And that's how that happened. Well, he interviewed John McAfee shortly thereafter. And I was like, dude, you booked McAfee. I'm like, how'd you get him? He's like, I asked. And I was like, that's such a simple. Yep. Of course. Of course. Right. You know, and um, I've had um, students from age 18 all the way up through the oldest uh, graduates, 85. The oldest graduates, a guy named Bob Podolsky, and he's the son of Boris Podolsky, who was Einstein's partner. So he's an interesting older guy who's still learning, still practicing, still sharing the wisdom that he's gained. Um, and then, you know, I designed the course so uh, a, a single mom with three kids and two jobs could still have time and the money to go through this course, get those skills, make the course pay for itself, and live happily ever after. It's not promising miracles or you're going to have a yacht or a plane. It's much more realistic. Like you're going to have a stronger offer to the market and you're going to have upward mobility to go wherever you want as long as it's not based on your physical dexterity. As long as it's based on between your ears, you're going to be good. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful every season because I get to meet all these cool people from around the world. Like we have 
students from Saudi Arabia and Germany and, you know, Asia and South America and Africa and Australia, all the major places except Antarctica, pretty much. Uh, you know, again, this is this is the important point of it. If people have a goal, if they have a purpose, a mission, and uh, then and they want to learn a specific skill or or skills that will serve them in a number of different situations, I think again the dividing line is whether people have that actual driving passion. Do you really want it or not? And if not, then that's that's fine. It just means you're not going to progress in whatever it is that you're you're dreaming about. So turning dreams into reality, I think, is what this process is about. And it has been Mapping done. It can dreams. be done. It I call is, it, yeah. <laughs> it's more like having an intentional map. Like you're intentionally plotting it, though, Jamie. It's not just like a thing that happens. There's work involved, but it's not magical. And at the end of the day, my, my curriculum is great. The, inter, the integration exercises where people learn, they're very sturdy. It's, it's all nerfed up. No one gets hurt. It's, it all works great. But what people really get out of it is the personal connections. They meet people online. Then they go meet in, in real life. And uh, like we go to festivals and there will be three dozen of my graduates there. And that's the priceless part of it, right? We get, on, we get together online to exchange information and do some learning. But we do that to bring it back into our households, our communities, and our neighborhoods to make, a, make the world a better place. Because without our conscious participation in this game, it's going to go unfreedom real quick. Exactly right. All right. Well, we've covered a lot of bases, a lot of ground today. Uh, anything else you'd like to say about self-learning before we wrap it up? Yeah. Part of self-learning is, uh, you know, learning how to take these offers. Do I want to learn about that? Do I want to learn about that? And being able to say yes, no, maybe later. Where would that fit into my goals? These sort of things, right? There's a lot of people who have probably listened to this whole thing and they think this might not be for them. So I brought something free for those people, James. Can I, can I give out that URL? Please do, yeah. Getautonomy.info forward slash Freedom Vault, all one word, Freedom Vault. And uh, you have a presentation, I think, in there called The Underground History of America. And uh, I think your audience would find it enlightening because it ties in the Opium, East India Company, Anglo-American establishment uh, to those who destroyed education to bring in schooling to make a world war, one world government. Fascinating. I'm going to be going there to check it out myself as soon as we hang up here. <laughs> and I'm sure many people will as well. All right. Uh, give out the address one more time. Getautonomy.info forward slash Freedom Vault. And that's the, uh, the archive. And if you want the landing page for the course, it's forward slash Ignite. And uh, Sunday Nights Live, I do Grand Theft World at GrandTheftWorld.com. It's a podcast summarizing I the news of the week. I forgot to mention that. And of course, I've been on there before, so hopefully my audience will be familiar with it. But if not, I hope you check it out. Okay, I think we're going to leave the conversation there for today. But uh, Richard, always, always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, James, for the invite. And thank you to everyone who listened and considered and weighed what I had to say. <laughs>